Hello and welcome to the Future Alternative podcast, where we talk to the best and brightest in Australia's plant-based and alternative protein industry. My name is Danielle Bowling and I'm the editor of Future Alternative. By 2035, Australia's cellular agriculture industry could be worth as much as $2.3 billion. Cellular agriculture, which incorporates both cultivated meat and precision fermentation technologies, has the potential to play an enormous role in helping to ease the world's reliance on animal agriculture, while also satisfying its surging appetite for protein. However, and especially in Australia's case, a lot of work needs to be done. For Australia to develop a thriving cellular agriculture industry, some significant hurdles need to be addressed. Three, in fact. A couple of weeks ago, Cellular Agriculture Australia, a not-for-profit organisation working to help this nascent industry flourish, released a first-of-its-kind white paper, summarising the current state of play and identifying the three things Cell Ag needs most desperately in order to grow and thrive. Here to talk us through the white paper's findings is Sam Perkins, CEO of Cellular Agriculture Australia, or CAA, as I'll be referring to it today. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sam. Great to be with you, Daniel. Thanks for having us. Before we get into the white paper, can you just tell us a little bit about CAA and, and I guess what its main purpose is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as an organisation, we really focus on trying to enable the future impact potential of the cellular agriculture sector in Australia. A big part of that or big part of our origin story was focused on raising awareness. And we see that as a critical first step for all subsequent engagements, whether that be prospective students seeing this as a future career path or getting government to understand the future potential from a jobs or economic or contributing to Australia's climate agenda. We really focus now on the commonly agreed and non-competitive challenges and opportunities that will really benefit the entire of the CELAG sector in Australia. And we want to do that by working with and on behalf of that sector as a whole, which includes, as you said, companies that use precision fermentation and cell cultivation to produce alternative proteins to meet this increasing demand on, in particular, animal-based agricultural products. That analogy of like the, the rising tide lifts all boats really rings true. And along with the likes of Food Frontier, we're really looking at working out the best way we can help raise that tide for all of the stakeholders in the sector. Do you have members or can you list some of the organisations that our listeners might be familiar with who are sort of involved in CAA and building it up? Yeah, absolutely. We don't technically have members, but we engage with broad cross-section of the sector. Just last week, we held a workshop with 28 leaders of the sector in Australia, which included uh, members of the private sector like VAL or OG, Change Foods, for example, in addition to academic institutions like the likes of the University of Technology Queensland, the University of Adelaide and the University of Melbourne, including also representatives of both state and federal government, as well as investors like Better Byte who um, also attended the workshop. As I mentioned in my intro, CAA released an industry-first white paper just a couple of weeks ago, and it says that Australia is uniquely placed to become a global leader in cell ag. Can you tell us a little bit about what Australia has, I guess, that puts it in such a promising position? Yeah, absolutely. We believe Australia really has this melting pot of, of components that can be conducive to a thriving cell ag sector in the future. We have strong capability in synthetic biology, stem cell and muscle research. We have a growing advanced manufacturing sector and a real desire to grow that in-house manufacturing capability and capacity nationally. We have a locally and internationally recognised incumbent industry, both across the broader agricultural sector and maybe more importantly within the animal agriculture space. 
And that's really, really important and will be a critical, I think, stakeholder for the satellite sector to work hand in hand with as it evolves. We've got a regulatory framework that is not only conducive to supporting the regulation of novel foods like those produced through precision fermentation and cell cultivation, but for SANS is also really open and willing to work with companies to achieve their goals and ensure that their products can get to market quickly, but also from a consumer standpoint, make sure that they're safe and appropriate for consumption. Interestingly, I think another tack or another look at this from sort of an international perspective is Australia has an abundance of feedstock, which provides us or places us in a kind of a competitive or provides us with a competitive advantage over the likes of Singapore and the Middle East, who are also highly active in cellular agriculture. And something that I, I really, I guess, hone in on and was certainly evidenced by the workshop that we ran is that we've got a sector that's willing to work together. And I think that's remarkable, both from the private sector or the private industry standpoint, but across the board. And, and we really saw that shine, particularly in those non-competitive spaces, those kind of overarching challenges and opportunities that I think everybody sees. People are really willing to work together towards those common goals. And from what we've heard, that's potentially quite unique to the context in Australia. As we've mentioned, the report or the white paper, I should say, uh, that you guys have put together listed three key challenges that you feel the industry needs to overcome in order to reach its full potential. And the first one was a skilled and future fit workforce. So can you maybe elaborate on this and just tell us how much of an issue the workforce is for the industry at the moment? Pretty massive. And unfortunately, it doesn't appear like there's a quick fix to it either. And I think that's largely because it's not just an issue for Australia. We're talking about a global shortfall in talent around cellular agriculture. And I think we need to break that down into two core timeframes. One is the immediate needs of this nascent and emerging industry or, or sector. And the second of which is the longer term needs of, of the same space as it moves towards certainly pilot production and then commercial scale, where we're going to see sort of the rapid growth of companies and a, a broader diversification of the talent required. Yeah. And I know that this is obviously an enormous question, but are there things, maybe some quick fixes that you think the government or other organisations can do to help address that? Are there sort of some low-hanging low fruit that you can pick at? Yeah, I think the quick fix is, is maybe the, the interesting point there. And I'm not convinced that there are any particularly quick fixes, but I think what's really needed is we need to take an industry-led approach. We really need to listen to what the industry is calling out for, both in the short and longer term. And from there, I think we need to move into some form of nationally coordinated effort, bringing together academic institutions who have there or thereabouts different components or different pieces of the puzzle that can support the, the development of these future fit graduates. And then in addition to that, really quickly develop a number of cellular agriculture specific courses or modules that can be bolted on or complementary to uh, existing degree types that are inherently proximate to the sector. I think that's the way we can see, I guess, a rapid advancement. And then I think in addition to that, we need a broader, longer term approach. And there are currently about 200 skilled roles in cell ag across Australia's private sector. Where are those roles mostly concentrated? Is it in R&D? Yeah, I think at the moment we're certainly seeing that the majority of the roles or the majority of the roles advertised are in, in and around the fundamental science and R&D, although depending on the age and stage of the company or organisation involved, we're seeing a diversification or a broadening of that, particularly as certain companies move through the R&D pipeline into having you know 
both functional prototypes and products that are starting to get ready for the likes of regulation, which will then be obviously a precursor to, to reaching the market. We're both well aware that countless industries are suffering with staff shortages and talent, access to talent, largely because of COVID and not being able to access international talent. Do you think that's played a role for the cell ag industry as well? Or is it more a fact, as you've mentioned, that there is just an international shortfall in talent in this sector? I mean, I, I think it's hard to step but It will be hard to say that um, COVID didn't or won't continue to play a role. But I think we need to focus on the overarching short, shortage of talent globally. We certainly know that a number of people have come into the cellular agriculture industry from overseas during the COVID period and others have left to go overseas from Australia. So COVID hasn't been an inherent barrier to that skills transfer. And certainly now and historically, Australia does have a favourable visa program to bring in talented individuals from overseas. We've seen a, a slight shift in Austrade's sort of talent attraction program but the the visa the visa program is certainly very conducive or still stands to be very conducive the second challenge that was identified in the white paper is what you guys referred to as deeper cross-disciplinary open access research so can you sort of break that down for us and explain what you mean by that yeah it's a bit of a mouthful isn't it i mean at, at its core we believe there's a need to create a foundational body of knowledge that covers all aspects of cellular agriculture and that this knowledge is made openly accessible and that's really important for a number of reasons. It sets to act as a point of truth for the sector because of the way that knowledge is developed through rigor, rigorous research methodologies and, for example, peer review. So it's verified and can be repeatable. And if we are able to develop that sort of foundational body of knowledge, it sets an incredible baseline for the sector to grow from in the future, whether that be the formation of new companies, to act as a reference point for existing companies, or really importantly, to be able to build consumer trust and acceptance from. Yeah, most certainly. One of the other elements of the white paper that really interested me was a comment made suggesting that scientific breakthroughs are often locked up in private companies, which widens the valley of death. Can you elaborate on this? And I guess maybe first of all, start by explaining what the valley of death is for those that might not be familiar with that term. Yeah, I can certainly explain that. I think I'll I'll paint a picture that hopefully leads to us being able to understand the valley of death. The current situation sort of sees this disproportionately small amount of investment going into fundamental research and innovation that is then made openly or publicly accessible. On the flip side, we've seen a significant amount of funding going into the private sector who have also managed to secure very significant amounts of, of capability. And a lot of this capability has come from academic institutions and other research institutions. And so what that allows these companies to be able to do is to perform the fundamental research and R&D themselves. And it's that fundamental research and R&D that is required to develop these new and exciting products. But the knowledge and intellectual property that wraps around that then becomes theirs and it becomes inaccessible to the broader general public and or other people who might want to engage or start engaging in the sector in the future. And so what we see is that this evolution of this, for want of a better word, locked up knowledge grows and accelerates more quickly than this foundational knowledge being developed through research institutes. And the gap between those two things is this sort of increasingly wide valley of death. And really what that means is it becomes increasingly difficult for new startups to enter the sector. And paradoxically, unfortunately, that ultimately hinders innovation and 
potentially moves towards the monopolization of certain parts of, of the sector. Now, it's probably important also that that's not intended to paint a negative picture around the way in which any of the startups have approached the work they do. It's a natural way of progressing. But this is really where we believe that the likes of the government need to step in and inject significant amounts of funding to make sure that the sort of foundational body of knowledge can be built alongside and in complement to the work that's happening in the happening in the private sector. Now, the third and final pointer from the white paper is the need for the industry to establish at-scale manufacturing capabilities. And this is where CAA really calls out, as you just have, for significant government funding. So why is funding so important for this point specifically? Because it's really expensive. And we were talking about pilot plants that can be in the order of tens of millions of dollars and large-scale facilities of which to have a significant impact on the protein supply chain, we're going to need multiple of, and we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars for these large-scale facilities. And the, the challenge that the sector faces at the moment because of the pace and the way it's evolving is that this investment is seen as too high risk for project-based funding as the business model hasn't been sufficiently proven yet. We don't have really solid proof points and the ROI is too long for venture capital. And so who else is going to provide that significant amount of funding? Well, we really need to look to government to step in and make sure that these companies who are getting products ready to go through regulation and will be ready to market, that they are able to scale sufficiently so that we can really test the financial viability of these products in the market at scale. I feel like I might know the answer to this already, but how much support has the government given to this industry thus far? Like, Are you confident that the industry will get access to what it needs to really drive CELAG forward? The government has provided support in a range of different ways, and, and that shouldn't be overlooked or, or overshadowed by what is required. We've seen, you know, for example, $5 million from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation go to OG in their seed capital raise, main sequence ventures, which is CSIRO's Innovational Venture Capital Fund has invested in the likes of Eden Brew and Nourish. A number of startups have received state-based government funding in the order of the, the low millions of dollars. I think the, the important reference is, is how much support has the government provided relative to, for example, the Dutch government that has announced or will be providing 60 million euro of public funding to support the formation of an ecosystem around cellular agriculture and some other really significant I guess, contributions or statements made by the likes of the USA, where President Biden's in the process of signing an executive order creating a national biotechnology and biomanufacturing initiative. Now, that isn't inherently or directly focused on cellular agriculture, but it sets this policy, government, federal government level policy, that will then be a catalyst for a lot of other things to flow into, including support for the likes of cellular agriculture. And I think we're really waiting for that to happen in Australia. I believe it will happen and I believe one of the things that we as a sector need to do is make sure that we have a common and consistent voice to government and I think we really need to improve the way we articulate the value proposition of cellular agriculture from a jobs and economic and social and environmental as well as the potential for it to contribute to Australia's climate change agenda. I think that's the message that we need to focus on, which I think will then naturally drive more support from the government because they can see that it is genuinely in their own interest to do so. And is that a role that you see CAA as fulfilling, that sort of voice to government? 
I think it's one of the roles we could play. We're in a, a really exciting process of developing what our future strategy will look like and the strategic direction that we'll take. We've certainly heard from a range of different industry uh, stakeholders that there is the need for this common voice, someone to convene conversations and then be able to advocate, for example, on behalf of the sector to government, to regulators and to others. And if really, if that's where the sector wants us to play, that's where we will play. And how do you, um, obviously you're, you're well connected with the sector, so you, they will be giving you feedback perhaps you know, in the conversations that you're having on a day-to-day basis, but are there opportunities for the industry to be getting together to collectively share their thoughts and ideas about how the group, the sector can move forward? Yeah, I do, absolutely. And I think that needs to happen at a range of different levels. So one of the, the outcomes that we're following through on the back of the workshop is the formation of a series of coalitions of the willing around each of the priority areas that were identified. And we'll be holding subsequent conversations to really tease out with those who want to be involved what a kind of concrete action plan might look like. And we're talking about you know, overarching challenges like talent, access to infrastructure, social acceptance, regulation and policy, and then work out the role that we need to play in that space alongside and importantly alongside the likes of Food Frontier, who I think earlier in the year highlighted the huge value that their Alt Protein 2022 conference delivered to the sector. It had a different focus, but I think both types of forums are going to be uh, needed along with others on an ongoing basis. And just before I let you go, I'm interested to hear what you, what the one thing is, I guess, that you took away from that white paper. There's obviously these three challenges that the industry has that need to be overcome and there's plenty of food for thought there, but is there one thing maybe that left you really excited or energised or optimistic after putting together that white paper? I think the thing that makes me the most optimistic was during the development of the white paper as a result of its being released and during the workshop was the overwhelming willingness for a diverse range of stakeholders to come together and work together around these non-competitive overarching opportunities and challenges. And I, I really think when that starts to happen and building on the back of the momentum that's been created so far, we are going to see substantive change outside of the great progress that's being made by the private sector, I think the broader sector is going to start to really accelerate quickly as a result of that willingness to work together. Um, and that's something both, both sort of personally and with my CAA hat on makes me really, really um, excited and excited for us to be involved with that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't wait to see what the next few years bring. I'm sure it's going to be very exciting. Thank you so much for your time today, Sam. No problems. Thanks a lot for having me. That's it for today's episode. If you'd like to check out our other interviews, you can see them all on our website, futurealternative.com.au, where you can also sign up to receive our free weekly e-newsletter. 